I'm Tony Lockwood, founder of Thompson Wright Partners, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the latest episode of Inside Track, where I discuss business transformation journeys with leading figures in industry. I think most of us will have people that they can look back on throughout their career who have played an important role in their development. Sometimes it's about opening up new opportunities. Maybe it's that they have acted as a mentor or a coach. Or maybe they have just been an inspiration for moving down a particular path. On today's show, I'm joined by such a person, someone that provided me with an opportunity to take a new direction in my career many years ago. One which I can attach a direct correlation to me getting involved in transformation for the first time. It is one of those sliding door moments, and I have often thought about how things would have been different if I hadn't taken the opportunity presented to me at the time. Today, I'm joined by Mike Geacock, someone who I've known for over 30 years. We worked together in Royal Bank of Scotland, and after getting heavily involved in a significant transformation, our career paths have progressed in different directions, but have often crossed over the years. Mike's approach has been absolutely consistent throughout the years that I've known him, and he is very people-focused. He will explain more about what that means, I'm sure, in the podcast. Also, make sure that you have a pen and paper available to note down the many anecdotes that Mike will surely share. There are definitely some golden nuggets in there. Uh, hi, Mike. Thanks for agreeing to join us today. It must have been, I was thinking, it must have been sort of 30 years that we've known each other now, and uh, God knows where all those have gone. And, and I should tell everybody, this is likely to be a long episode, as Mike <laughs> has a reputation for talking. Um, but uh, since working I've together... A fair reputation, <laughs> There you go, started already. <laughs> uh, since working together at RBS, uh, I'm sure, and, and I'm sure we'll explore that uh, experience a little bit more later, you've obviously been involved in major transformations across a multitude of organisations. Do you want to give a brief introduction to you and your career today? Sure. Well, I think as Tony said, uh, we started off in the Royal Bank. I started off as a, a banker, really, and took my banking exams and then through uh, working mainly in HR and understanding the people issues got dragged off up to Edinburgh with three others to do Project Columbus, which was the flagship of the, the RBS, working you know closely with the mate, all the executives, including the chairman and the managing director, which was aimed at changing the Royal Bank of Scotland into a modern banking system. And it worked very well and you know I really enjoyed my time there. So it kind of stimulated my interest in change and started early, although I didn't recognise it, the importance of culture in an organisation people, not not sidelining things like IT, which are great enablers, but, you know, and I've taken that round with me. So then for my sins, I went and um, ran legal aid or the operational side of legal aid. Nothing quite prepared me for the public sector. So that was a kind of an interesting foot. And I remember sitting there after four weeks thinking, what have I done? Um, because getting decisions was difficult. But, you know, there was a major push on then in terms of access to justice. So, um, operationally, they were heavy in terms of their 11 centres. We got them down to five, consistency of process. But started to talk about the people and the skill sets that were required. Uh, then went off to, um, for my sins, run the Solicitors Regulation Authority, which was an interesting clash of cultures <laughs> with the legal sector. Thoroughly enjoyed my time there, um, culminating in moving them to one centre in Birmingham. And then uh, decided to, to move on and do something differently. 
went to work at Offball for, for 10 months, which was exciting stuff. I mean, it was really interesting stuff. Um, I haven't got an education background other than my dad was a headmaster and my brother was a teacher, so I had plenty of input from that area. Um, and actually, I was going to stay there, but I, I started off a process uh, with Jersey Financial Services Commission, um, which was coming out of the financial meltdown in 2008. So in 2014, I signed up to run their chief operating officer, first time they'd ever appointed somebody at that role, and to deliver their transformation program. So I did that, just finished doing six years there. So um, that was really kind of taught me lots and kind of put into practice all the things I think I'd accumulated over those years. Yeah. And, and, and you know, obviously being involved in just, just um, as you just described there, some heavy hitting transformations. Um, so how would you define transformation? Because everyone has a different view of what transformation means. What's your definition of it? I think it's a cultural, it, the culture is the critical thing, you know, and you go to organization and they proudly tell you they've got a transformation program. What they've got is the nuts and bolts of a transformation. They're not actually doing it. And it still concerns me, certainly in recent months when you've seen the impact of COVID, that the transformation programme, when people say it could have taken five years to do it, all of a sudden it's like a double six, you know, <laughs> IT's delivering stuff, remote working. Um, so it, it's, it's that culture. And it still concerns me um, that too many of the leaders, the executives, the chief execs, the operational teams are kind of not enablers. A leadership, you need to be an enabler. You have to create. Uh, the environment for people to flourish, knock down those barriers, rather than the, you know, uh, it's my way or the highway kind of mentality that we saw, I saw it and you saw in the 90s, and, and, and I've still seen it today. It, it, it cripples an organisation. Any transformation programme that's based on that style, in my opinion, has little or no chance of succeeding. And when, I, when you walk into organisation, I kind of have a mental checklist now of transformation, so, you know, what, what, are you losing staff? Are you losing the wrong sort of staff? Is your reward for being good in that organization? Did you get more to do? Guess what? They leave. Mm -hmm. um, is performance management about not just what you do, but how you do it? Um, talent programs, you haven't got a tick in the box that says talent program, we've got one, rather than actually doing something with it, giving people the opportunity. Do most of the major roles carry trainee roles where you're developing your own, which does that. And I suppose the critical thing for me is when you talk about transformation, if you're not doing that across the organization, so you support services like HR, communications, IT, support services, if they're not fully involved in that process, it doesn't work. Mm. Um, particularly in the HR thing, which, you know, if your intent, as we set off in Jersey, to create a, a, as an employer of choice, they needed to be owning the performance management. They needed to be owning well-being. They needed to understand the recruitment of staff and the training programs so that you could attract and retain the very best people. You know my philosophy, because we've shared it before, is two things. One, people don't care how much I know until they know how much I care. So you have to care about the organization and you actually have to work hard to retain your people. It's not, uh, you know, if I use an example, the last two regulators I've worked with, people used to say, listen, you can't do without me. I've got 10 years' experience. The reality was they had one year's experience they'd used for the last 10 years. Yeah, yeah, and actually, yeah. that was what it is. And they were holding on to that. And that creates silos. You know, it's a much vaunted phrase, silos in organisations. The responsibility for breaking that down isn't just with the executive. It's with the people. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, it's interesting as well, isn't it? You've made a, a, a very um, focused sort of um, point there around it's the people that drive the transformation. It's the people that will deliver the transformation. But all too often, organisations start with technology or digital or something else, yeah. and not and not the people. Um, and, and and going back to sort of the RBS days, which, as you say, has been written up as you know, the way to drive the transformation, yeah. the model. But that was thirty years ago. Yeah. Now, isn't it? Or oh, 25, 30 years ago. So what, what differences have you seen in those, in, in, in those sort of 25, 30 years since we did that, that, that transformation? I've seen some different differences, but you should probably won't be surprised. I've seen some similarities. Yeah. You see, for me, IT is a fantastic enabler. But if I use the example and, you know, the last two roles I've been, that when there were people who were doing the IT, they thought that that was going to be the panacea that was going to be so invariably, when they were working their way through, they took out the box solutions and then booted them. Now, why would you do that? Why would you think that's a good idea? Yeah. And the reality is that you don't invest your best people in setting the business requirements. So staff within the business, you typically got the sick and wounded to do the testing, people returning to work yeah. instead of the key people. So it's that massive investment in front who see the process through. And that helps people in terms of making staff feel as if changes are being done to them actually uh, they're part of the solution and actually getting them involved and embracing that so that when you do launch a system they can say that you know we we were part of that they don't switch it on and it's three different colors it's not doing what it is and and far too often and it's quite interesting i go into an organization and you speak to staff and they say oh the it doesn't work about but don't worry we've got a workaround now workaround is a, is a sin to me because it says there's a rough something wrong with the process. But it's like a badge that they were collecting. Yeah. We've sorted it, but actually in doing so, we've created three different processes that actually impact on the customer. So you have to win people's hearts and minds. You have to get them thinking about right first time. And far too often, that's not the case. Um, you know, so IT is a great thing, but it's a great thing if it's done properly. And ownership, and I mean across all levels, and you've got to avoid at all costs pet projects. Pet projects crucify organisations. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I think, in my experience, the technology, as you're right, technology can be a massive differential, uh, a differentiator, shall I say, within an organisation. But if people don't use it, then you're never going to get the value um, and the benefit. And uh, and if you don't take people on that journey and get them involved in, as you say, defining what the processes should be and testing it and making sure it's fit for purpose, um, then people won't click on that icon and you won't get the benefit. And, well, they don't yeah. own it. I mean, yeah. it's as simple as that. And I'd ask anybody that's sit, you know, sitting listening to this, just ask yourself, you know, how many pieces of staff are saying, well, it doesn't work, so I've done this. And, and then the other classic, which I'm sure people will nod at, is they force all processes into new systems. Mm. They simply lift and drop because that's what they know. And you have to deal with the human element People feel threatened by new processes. Um, if they've got a sphere of influence or they're an expert, then they feel threatened by this. And far too often in organisations, um, certainly my experience, we've promoted people with fantastic technical knowledge into people roles. Now, often the two things don't fit. No, so no. as part of that culture, you have to be accepting that there is a need for subject matter experts. You don't necessarily have to make them into leaders because they struggle with that, um, but they do it because that's where the rewards have been placed in terms of managers' jobs. And actually, they feel inherently uncomfortable. 
and then you start to get attrition from your staff members who aren't getting the support um, and far too often executives talk about being coaches and mentors they're not they expect others to do it so things like joining in in terms of performance management if there's an, a company-wide initiative i used to go and do the performance management training with the staff because it was evidence that you know it wasn't getting done to them that actually there i was there to learn and don't underestimate the impact that those sort of things have interesting so in in terms of the people side as you say you you, you you've got to take people on the journey but some people just don't want to go what what uh, what experience have you had of, of either turning those people around or or leaving them at the stop and, and getting, getting on your way uh, mixed to be honest uh, it's a challenge uh, my philosophy is change the people or change the people you know that because that's kind of a phrase that's kind of been associated with i work tirelessly to change the people but you do get to a stage where you're saying this isn't for you and as long as you're trying to maintain their integrity and dignity and say you know it's it's an opportunity for will help facilitate that uh, rather than it being draconian then i think you're discharging your responsibilities you know you have to get people to be owning it but you cannot continue to invest and drain the resources if people have that kind of stubbornness or whatever it is then you have to deal with it because organizations spent 10 years trying to be more efficient. I've spent the last 10 years trying to make them more effective. Now, you, there is a combination between the two. Effective people do the things that you want them to do. And far too often, and HR, going back to the HR thing, people recruit can do people, because that was the phrase. I try and find the will do people, because it's the will do people who will change the organization, they'll embrace it, they'll challenge themselves, they'll challenge others. And if you've got a core of will-do people, that's what makes an organization from the bottom up to the top actually start to perform effectively um, and seek them out. You could have switched them off in, because they don't feel wanted, they don't feel as if they're appreciated. Go find them, spend 10, 15 minutes every day as I do saying thank you to people. It's a short amount of your time. So a thank you from anybody, but if it comes from on high, it seems to have more uh, sense they're being recognized you know everybody can do 10 15 minutes a day and you can create a culture where actually they are feeling appreciated that might seem like a real hackneyed thing but actually it makes a difference yeah yeah well, i think everyone likes to be uh, at the pat on the back don't they and that, that everybody that, that, i that do acknowledgement yeah yeah I, do. I like it when my chairman says to me thanks mike you know i mean i'm not a, a, a I'm quite happy to say that I appreciate it because actually it is a validation. Yeah. But you know, people get staff surveys. Staff surveys are fantastic, but they sit on people's shelves, you know, and then they wonder why next time they do it, people are reluctant to fill it in. Well, they're reluctant to fill in because they've done it once before and nothing happened. Yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. It's what a fantastic rich source of information that is. Yeah. Or oh, what tends to happen is the first time you get a reasonable level of response, the second time you get a very negative level of response yeah, yeah. Uh, because people have realized that you've done nothing from the nothing. first one. Yeah. So it's like, it's almost like it's an opportunity just to, 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 to well, I'm sure, it. I'm sure Jersey wouldn't mind saying our first survey, which we did in 2015, we got 41% of the staff doing it. The second one in 2017, we got 60%. The last one, which we did in 1819, we got 99% of the staff coming in and as you said that's because we owned it we we, make, we we picked six topics we asked the staff here's 10 topics that you've thrown up 
we can only afford to do six. Which of the six you'd like us to do? And do you want to be part of a staff forum that actually is, is part of the solution? And you know, you can pass the ownership. You can't throw it away, but you can pass the ownership down. And they then took responsibility with some relish, I have to say, in most cases, because actually impacted on them. And actually, that's where you get your credit for your staff. But staff surveys, people tick the box, we've done it. Our board at Jersey were fantastic in that. They really supported it. You know, we presented to the board or the, the people who were involved from lower levels in terms of grading wise in the organization. They presented to the board about what they were going to do. So it galvanizes that interest. You kind of make that connection between yeah. boards and the staff, which is really important. Going back to your time at um, the um, the Solicitors Regulation Authority and Legal Aid and, and, and the public sector aspects yeah. that you've done, um, lots of people sort of say public sector is a challenge generally because you know people don't like change. And the people I've spoken to a lot of the time, it's not necessarily that the people don't like change. It's it's the the, the bureaucracy of the organisation makes it very difficult to quickly drive transformation and change. Is that what you found? I, I did, but it's, it's often offered up as an excuse not to do things. So, you know, if there's a will, people will support that. You know, you've seen the changes, you know, 10, 15 years ago, in, inland revenue were getting slaughtered. But now the processes are great, that's what, because people have embraced it and actually they've started to put some leadership in. I, I did get the sense of it was a, it was more about my way or the highway kind of stuff in the public sector. I have to be honest, it was more of that. But as they kind of released that and have brought more leadership skills in and, and more coaching, then you did see relaxing. Some of the best staff, and I mean the best staff in transformation I've worked with, I've worked in the public sector, because mm. they have a passion. They have a passion for the subject. You know, when you got people talking about access to justice in legal aid, you know, you didn't have to speak to 20 minutes because it was a real passion and often yeah. driven by personal circumstances and stuff like that. And I kind of value that because, yeah. it, you, you know, you can tap into that and create, knock down the barriers for them. They'll, they'll take some of this much further, as far as commercial organisations. Yeah, you'll take passion every day, don't you? I'll take passion every day. You know, you can use that. And you can train technical knowledge, and you can, but can you train some of the softer skills? I'm, I'm, I'm always amazed they're called soft skills. I've never found these skills <laughs> soft or easy to do. You know, and if you find them, then you should cherish them and, and develop people. And let, as an organisation, my job is to step away and let people fulfil their potential. The greatest gift somebody can give to me is that they're, you know, they're fulfilling their potential. And if they leave, you know, they're on loan to me. They're not my staff. Now they've got them, I'll try and develop. So how do you go about doing that? You've got to be authentic, Tony. You've got to, you've got to care. You know, I go back to what I said before. You know, people don't care how much I know until they know how much I care. If somebody's having a tough time at home, you know, make the make the time to speak to them. Um, make sure you understand them. You know, be visible. You know, the visible leadership is much vaunted. Um, I always smile at the story that back in our days in the in the bank when uh, they did their first staff survey. My life, my manager, who was the most remote manager I've ever worked with got told he had to be more visible. And sure enough, every Tuesday afternoon at two o'clock, his diary card came out. He walked around the office, never said anything to anybody. Yeah, yeah. But went down and said, look, I'm visible. Never said a word to anybody, went straight back in with us. In fact, he got to the stage where we knew it was either somewhere between two and three on a Tuesday when we saw him. So <laughs> we could set your watches back. But it's that interpretation, you know, people kind of, and it's not an intrusion, it's, it's, it's emotional intelligence. You and I will know when somebody's upset. 
I will know when somebody's upset. It's what I do about it. Do I ignore it? Yeah. And you know, you hear in businesses, oh, that's just Mary or that's just Billy, that's their way. You have to help them change that that's the perception because it actually becomes them if you're not careful and actually yeah. they live it. Absolutely. So I think, you've got I, to care. Yeah, I, I think as you say, so many people have said, uh, have sort of responded to you've got to take down the barriers by moving out of offices and going into yeah. open plan offices and stuff like that. But actually then they just surround themselves with boxes, don't they, to, to hide yeah. themselves. They, and, and they create their own asylum. Yeah, Listen, exactly. you're, not, you're talking to a man that last year was dressing a Scooby-Doo onesie on behalf of the staff raising money for the RSPCA in Jersey. Now, you know, you've got, I mean, it sounds really trite, but you've got to kind of do some of those things that kind of do. I enjoy doing those things. You know I'm a bit kind of out there on stuff like that. But that's what wins you. Uh, the authenticity with staff and actually yep. you're on side. But that's just taking your weekend uh, costumes <laughs> into work, isn't it, mate? So. Yeah, we're not going into that territory. But you've, <laughs> you've, you've got to be seen to be part of that and you're not always the solution, but, you know, we raised £8,000 on the back of that. By far the biggest on Jersey and we won the work for Top Dog. You know, it got us good profile. But actually, is important in attracting people to the organization yeah. i'm sure they wouldn't mind saying in jersey we were getting people joining the organization who were coming to retire for better work-life balance they have a very difficult job to do so it was really important to get across that actually we needed people who were you know very capable of working at time pressures and pressure as well so it started to change the perception of the organization and, and doing things like corporate social responsibility I gave everybody, or the commission gave everybody 14 hours a year that they could use for uh, corporate social responsibility. Now that starts to change the content. Yeah, so what do you say, or what would you say are the vital steps in any sort of transformation framework? What, 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 what are the must-haves as far as you're concerned? Have a blueprint. Uh, I mean, a proper blueprint that touches every bit of the business. I mean, you see some of these beautifully crafted transformation policy documents which, you know, are beautiful, but actually can you translate that into operational stuff? Yeah. So take every bit of the business, understand what that blueprint and transformation means for them, build that. What, 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 does, what does that look like, though, for you, in terms of your, in terms of the ones that you've driven through? All that experience of, as you say, these 50-page, 100-page, beautifully presented, that no one reads and they just collect dust on the uh, yeah, yeah. On, on the shelf. They what, are beautiful, what, though. Yeah. <laughs> what, does a blueprint, what, what does your blueprint look like? It, it talks about what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, timescales, proper governance around it. Too many people underestimate the importance of things like program management offices, you know, good governance, you know, set outcomes, don't set objectives, set outcomes for organisation. I, I mean, I'm, I'm preaching to the converted because I know that you feel bad. It's about outcomes. It's, it's, you know, you can give people objectives and you can tick the box. If you give them 100 to do, they'll probably get to 100 and stop where they've probably got the capacity to go on and do more. But talk about outcomes, recognise that as your reward system. So, you do get rewarded for what you do, but how you do it is the differentiator. You're also 50% of your reward is doing that. That changes people's mindsets because people like to be rewarded financially. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but as long as you're not getting rewarded for something you did 10 years ago, still, um, you know, you've got to kind of move it on. And that helps change the whole approach. But you've got to think about what it's going to look like. I'm talking small times. You know, I'm still hearing people. People saying in five years time, you know, we could have had three pandemics in five. You can, you can say, I, I find it difficult to kind of 
get too excited about five years. I'm stretching it at three because even then, you know, the impact that's you've seen the changes in IT systems yeah. in the last three years, you know, it, it's it's game changing stuff. And the generation that's coming through into the recruitment markets have got different expectations. They're not lifers, they're not gonna join an organization for life. No. They're gonna they're gonna change. Yeah, and and they and they want that, don't they? They're looking for that change. They're looking for. I, that. I find them excited. I find yeah. this generation really excited. You know, yeah. they want to be recruited off LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. They don't want to see an advert in your local newspaper. They're, they're very, they won't buy a local newspaper. Never mind go looking for a job. Anymore. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think, like you said, people people sort of call them the sort of butterfly minds and stuff, and 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 almost use that as a derogatory term. But actually, yeah, it, it's it's a it's a strength in in many cases because they're yeah, constantly some... looking for that innovation, aren't they? Looking for something new. But you know, as a reverse of the visible leadership, if I want my cup filling up and you know I need like I need motivating, it's that group I'll invariably go to. Because, you know, they, they give you a different perspective. They've got an enthusiasm. They're not thinking in silos. They may even think of in 18 months I'm not going off traveling around the world, you know. You know, I don't remember at that age me thinking that that was an option, but that's quite exciting to them. And you know what, they work very hard. And the other group that, that who kind of I get motivation from is those people who've gone off to start families, obviously husbands and wives, and yet organisations have invested massive amounts of training and then they discard them as if, you know, well, they can't come back and do a full-time job. It's the best kept secret in Jersey that the staff there that were recruited, we've recruited lots of expertise from other organisations and, and, and you actually embrace them and you make the IT, you give them the IT. You know, this new ways of working, working from home, flexible working was around when me and you were started in the bank. Yeah, yeah. But good organisations have sort of said, well, that's just the way, that's how we're going to be. Now it's a scurrying to see how they can do new flexible working. And as long as people, are, you know, are aware that there's a limits to it if necessary and that you have to come into the office one, two, I don't know, whatever those are. But the one mistake organisation I know are making, because I've spoken to people recently, they're just expecting managers who have never remote managed to have those skills. It's a completely different test. I did it for two years and it was hard. It was the hardest thing because you need great information. And you need a slightly different mindset. Not slightly, you need a different mindset. But it, it's, but it goes back to what we just talked about earlier, isn't it? it it's the, the challenge of remote working is you can't just walk around the office and and yeah. and, and ask how people are. Not even ask how people are. See how people are yeah, and yeah. then just interact with them. And, and that, yeah, that's that, the, that's one of the biggest challenges I think in in, in sort of the the hundred percent remote working that a lot of people have been doing. Now. Yeah, and I think people are ducking the issue. I'm being honest, you know. Um, I spent from the early 90s right to now trying to understand emotional intelligence. I'm further on in that journey. Do I understand it? No. But I do kind of understand that you have to respond to things that, you know, if people are reaching out to you in different ways, they're asking you to actually, you know, talk to them or stuff, you'll know. And if you've got data where they were doing 10 things one week and all of a sudden they're doing five, something's wrong. Uh, but you can ignore that and think, well, it'll go away. Or you can kind of pick up the phone, Zoom, whatever, and kind of say, is everything okay? You know, And often there are personal circumstances. It happens. That's life. Yeah, yeah. But as a remote manager, you're right. It's much more difficult than doing, you know, going in the office and seeing somebody sat on the chest sobbing, you know, because guess what? There's something wrong. Um, you, you haven't got that facility. But you cannot use that as an excuse for not being um effective in terms of your management and those trainings courses 
um, have long since been in organizations who have had to do it that way. And yeah. it's a mindset. That's the cultural thing. We come back to Dalton, the cultural thing. It's, it's, but it is what you just said, isn't it? it it's about um, treating people as individuals, but also checking up, uh, not checking up on them, checking in with them. Yeah. And, 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 and observing what's going on. And as you say, you know, the data uh, will probably tell you more about the reality than yeah. what you can observe. Um, because, he, 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 you know, he, so, some people are in a really, really bad place, but when they go into the office, put on the best face. Yeah, and, me and, too. I mean, I, I, I give you a good example. You know, when I started off in the bank, I got my first appointment. You know, I was going to change the world. I was going to make this the most effective part of I ended up doing the work myself, so I was there till eight o'clock every night. Everybody else was going home at five o'clock because I thought it would make me look good. Uh, and one day, a manager who was forward thinking brought me a house brick, and he put it on my desk. And I said, "What's that for?" He said, "Well, next time you think somebody somebody brings it on and you say you'll do it, pick it up and put it in your haversack because you're knackered because you're covering everybody's bricks." Yeah. And I just thought, bloody hell, you know, because it was insightful, you know, and you know, it's it's a true story, and I. Yeah. I so, so staff used to say, what's the brick on your desk for? Are you going to bring me one? You know, Because you thought that was the right thing to do because it made you look good or it made your department. Yeah. So staff soon learned they didn't have to solve a problem because they could give it to Mike. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's little things like that that kind of stick with you in terms of your understanding about how you need to be, I'm going to use the word again, how to affect it. And those are challenges. So you're saying um, Blueprint is one of the, of the three things. What, what are the other two? I think it's an obsession with actually what are the right outcomes and sticking to it. Mm -hmm. And you need your board, not your exec board, you need your board to be effective in that. Um, you know, board effectiveness are much vaunted. Actually, they do make a difference when they do it right. You know, skill sets, changing skill sets. I'm, I'm sure Jersey wouldn't mind. We had a, you know, we've got, you. they had challenges on cybersecurity, so they started to embroider into their board people who understood that. Technology, data, uh, regulation, you know, so they started to build a, a better effectiveness. Yeah. You know, if you look at a board's agenda, when I used to go, when we used to go and look at board's agendas, because we got invited to go and look at change, they were still talking about things that had no little or no relevance to what was actually going on in the business. There's a danger in because you don't want to make them executive boards. They're not, they're not there to do that. But they are there to offer challenge, to set policy, to set the, the you know what's required. The strategy. Yeah, it's the, yeah, it's the setting the parameters, isn't it? It's setting the parameters. That's the yeah. that's the that's the phrase I was looking at. It is it's setting the parameters, and too many people ignore that. And and I, and I think it, it's, there's also a place for that executive board as well, isn't there, to ensure. You know, I, I usually uh, use this, tell the story quite a lot about the Columbus days, and yeah. at ten o'clock on a Thursday, we knew exactly where all the board was because they're yeah. in St Andrew's Square, and we were in the process of presenting to them um, what was going on in the Columbus program and what's next. Well, we got really clear decisions. It was yeah. yes, no, or we can't make a decision, so we get X, Y, Z. And you know, it, you know, it seems a long time ago, but they were making decisions about telephone banking. Yeah. You know, would it ever work? You know, was this a kind of a red herring? You know, and think of the impact of you know internet banking now. You know, it wasn't it wasn't something that was kind of universally accepted as, as, as the way to go. But you know, they had enough people with fast sightedness to go and do it. Yeah, but you actually you actually got a challenge. You know, they sent me to Glasgow, an Englishman, to run. The rollout of Columbus. I mean, that yeah. was a big decision in the Royal Bank of Scotland. Yeah. Well, I, I always say, it, at the end of the day, the, the project was about taking a provincial Scottish 
predominantly Scottish-based yeah. provincial bank into one that could take over NatWest and, and become, what yeah. did it become, the second biggest in the world at one stage, yeah. I think, wasn't it? And, and without that, that change programme, would never have been able happened. to do that. Yeah. And a lot, a lot of that was all cut stuff. McKinsey's were really good on that, who were the kind of consultants, because they, they, they kind of were, were growing in confidence that this cultural thing was good. Mm. You know, I take great out of like, so you, you know, all the sales coordinators, the, the, the people who've gone on to bigger and better things, they're all in now major organisations. If taken some of those principles and done with them what they wished and developed them, but, you know, they're invariably being fairly successful wherever they go. I mean, I would argue, and this is my view, is that the Royal Bank could have gone on to greater things, but it seemed to lose its people focus. Its greatest strength in those early days was its people. I mean, yeah. we had fantastic people. Uh, who were doing fantastic things, working in new ways, you know, new ways of work. We don't use those phrases, but customer advisors, customer service was taken to different levels because yeah, yeah. of the enthusiasm. I, uh, my, my take is that they got a little bit arrogant and thought they could take on the world. And Well, and, lost sight of outcomes, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. that, that was the point, you know, I could sense it, you know, things were changing and, you know, you know me, that, that's my whole philosophy. If, if you start to lose sight of the people things, then an organisation quite possibly is going to get into trouble. Um, but it, it, that's what it needed. It needed that sense of it. And in those days where we were trailblazing, of course, it was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that's a final question, I suppose. Um, driving change and transformation can be stressful for everybody, um, for the leaders even more so at times. What, what do you do to sort of manage that? Um, I kind of got a good close set of friends, and I mean proper friends. I've probably got hardcore of ten or fifteen. These are people I've grown up with. So it's the butcher, the maker, and the candlestick <laughs> maker. There's thirteen of us sitting in a row at Manchester United. So that's kind of, and to them, I'm Mike Geecock, who I grew up with, and not you know that stuff. That's really important to me in terms of my authenticity as a person. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've got a very supportive family, my wife, you know, in terms of very supportive, you know, she's had to put with me living away from home, which she may see as a benefit most of the time. Uh, but you, you've just got to kind of make sure you can switch off. Um, I love watching Coronation Street, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of Made in Chelsea, you know, and I'm able to talk to staff about Coronation Street, Made in Chelsea. So I kind of have that relaxed taxation thing. Um, yeah. But I, I like going to work. I mean, I... I, I I'm probably going to get slaughtered for this, but I actually like getting up in the morning and going to work. But I also have a sense of when I know it's time for me to kind of, it's time for to me to try and do something else. Because you've got, I've invested in all that, you've got to let people fly. You know, you can't develop people for them yeah. to see you as the blockage to that. And, you know, I take great delight. I still get asked, um, you know, to be mentors and coach to quite a lot of people yeah. who I've worked with. So, just sometimes when they need a, a, a sense check. So I can't get excitement about that. I get uh, excited about change. I still yeah. get excited about change. Yeah. Now, I, I was just about to say, actually, I think one of the, one of the things that I've uh, no, noticed about you in particular, right from, from meeting you at the, uh, right at the start of the RBS uh, journey, was the sort of self-awareness. And it's exactly what you've just been talking yeah, yeah. about there. It, it's having that real understanding about you know, when it's right to do certain things, when it's right to step back, when it's yeah. right to let people fly. And, 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 that, and that's, that's a, a massive strength. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think organisations are recognising that that's, but actually, you know, I, I learned that. I mean, some of it's probably intrinsic in me, but I learned some of that from looking. 
as much about seeing people who I didn't respect and uh, you know I have values you know and kind of I always find myself when I'm in conflict with people it's when they're trampling on my value chain and, and I've kind of learned that so if I see it now I kind of recognize it for what it is it's not personal other than it's my personal values and I've got to the stage where I've got the confidence to be able to say to somebody you know what that's not that's not what I'm about yeah, yeah, because um, yeah. uh, transformation is hard enough. But if it's, if you're doing it where there's conflict, it's it's almost impossible. I yeah. would say to do. Yeah, yeah. And you, you, a recognition of that is really important. And there are times when you've got to kind of just move on and do something else, and you know, take that to someone else, and all, watch. Hopefully, as organisation continues to flourish, because that's one of the checks. It doesn't always happen. I gotta say, but you know. That's the responsibility of all well, there's, there's no guarantee in anything that we do, is there? So there's always, uh, you've got to be pushing the boundaries because if, you, if you're succeeding in everything, yeah. you, do, you probably were not pushing the boundaries for hard enough. You're yeah. probably taking it a bit too easy. It's equally uh, important to ensure that you put everything in place that you can do to ensure the likelihood of success is, is, yeah. is as high. You know, it's frightening to say, or um, to, to, to hear that 70% of transformation programs fail to deliver what they set out yeah. to deliver um, but you would never you'd never want to get to 100 percent being successful because they're not pushing the boundaries enough if they are it's interesting that you know when i was leaving the jersey financial services the chairman said to me the gift that i bring is i can be the conductor of the audit of the orchestra but i'm equally happy being part of the orchestra and mm -hmm. feel comfortable doing that and i think you've got to kind of understand that that's kind of important that you know You've got to be able to take people on, but also you've got the opportunity to see people flourish. I get great satisfaction from seeing people, uh, you know, fly in and, as you say, being very successful. Uh, and if you've been, if I've been a small part of that, then I kind of no, tick box on that. Absolutely. So that I, I, I tend to finish these um, podcasts off with the final question being, the, what's the one takeaway that sort of that you can boil everything down to? But I think everyone would know by now it's the people side. Of it. It's the people, yeah. I'm not going to disappoint you and say something different. I've spent 45 minutes telling you. If you get, think, you know, people say, and I always say, things don't happen, people make things happen. And as long as you hold on to that, you know, it's not something magic very rarely comes along. It does sometimes. But actually, it's your people that will make a difference. You have to give them the opportunity, the tools to be successful. And you know, if they fail, it's a it's a lesson. It's in training. You know, um, I'm always reminded of Branson when somebody's lost him nine million pound, and the guy says, "Do you want my resignation?" He says, "I've just invested nine million in your yeah. training, my yeah. son. You're not going anywhere." And it's little things like that that kind of you, we should remember. Absolutely. But it is it is about people and care about your people. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, what's next for you? What, 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 I know you're just saying that you're cup of tea. Like, I think probably. cup of tea now. Cup of tea. Yeah. Cup of tea. Feed up. Watching back <laughs> issues at Coronation Street. I, no, I watched it last night. I'm okay. Um, <laughs> I, I guess it's what's my next opportunity uh, to take. You know, there are lots of things happening in the market as it starts to reform. Um, I'm fascinated by this constant reference to new ways of working. How about effective ways of working? You know, mm -hmm. that's kind of stuff. I think some organizations have got wake-up calls in terms of how they've gone about some of this stuff. Um, that'll be fairly interesting. If you, if you harness those opportunities, I think you're, you're going to be very successful. Because I Absolutely. Think, 
I think that's the opportunity. And keep your good people where you can. You know, you can't always hang on to them, but now's the time to be telling them how much you're worthy of them. Um, and, and don't forget to say thank you. And on that point, thank you very much. That, okay. was, that was really good. Thanks, Mike. And uh, we, we occasionally get some questions. Are you happy if I collate them to, no. to answer some? No. <laughs> <laughs> of I can figure off. Of course I am. Brilliant. All right. Cheers, Mike. Thanks a lot. Mike, as ever, you don't disappoint. Many thanks for your time. The part that I really enjoy with these podcasts is that although we are talking about the same subject matter, change and transformation, everybody has a different focus or approach that they believe helps to differentiate themselves and supports their success. We have recently launched the Transformation Leaders Hub to create a community of like-minded peers, all changing transformation professionals, who understand the importance of building and maintaining a strong network. Within the hub, there are many opportunities to make new connections, and as the community grows, I passionately believe that we will change the way organisations source their transformation talent. Please do check it out. We have both free and paid membership options. See the link in the show notes below. Speak soon.